It's Friday the 24th of March. This is the Climate Alarm Clock. This week's headlines, IPCC AR6 synthesis report is released. The climate time bomb is ticking. But today's IPCC report is a how-to guide to defuse the climate time bomb. It is a survival guide for humanity. As it shows, the 1.5 degree limit is achievable, but it will take a quantum leap in climate action. This report is a clarion call to massively fast-track climate efforts by every country and every sector and on every time frame. In short, our world needs climate action on all fronts, everything, everywhere, all at once. Hello everyone and welcome to the Climate Alarm Clock, your weekly Irish climate news podcast. I'm Dara Wynn and this is a special episode that we were doing on the latest IPCC report. You heard there from Antonio Guterres and you're going to hear now from my usual co-presenters Anna Pringle and Kira Daly. How are you doing? Hello Dara, very excited for this episode. Hello Dara. Oh. How are you doing? Good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good, good. So that clip that people heard there at the start was Antonio Guterres at the launch of the latest IPCC report. We're going to be discussing everything that's in that report. Before we do, just a quick shout out to the people who have supported us on Buy Me A Coffee this week. Yeah, we have got Christine bought us five coffees. Thank you very much, Christine. And she thanks us for all our work on the podcast, which is lovely. Oh, and thanks, Christine. Kevin, one of our biggest fans, also bought us another coffee. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Kevin. And if you like what we do, you can support us yourselves on buymeacoffee.com forward slash the climate alarm. With that, let's get into the episode. So... As I said, this is a special episode looking at the latest IPCC report. So, where do we want to start? The beginning? <laughs> the beginning. Yeah, so let's <laughs> let's start at the beginning. And I suppose the beginning for me is, who are the IPCC? What is this report and why is it important? So, the IPCC are the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. They're a UN body. And they um, basically are a collection of the world's best climate scientists who review lots and lots of publications around climate change and compile them into these um, comprehensive, to say the least, reports. Um, so in the past, we have done specials on two of their most recent reports, where this report that came out on Monday is different is that it's a synthesis report. So it's basically a summary of all the work that the IPCC has done for the last five or six years. Quick question for you, Dar. Do you need to have, do you need to be familiar with the previous reports to get into the meat of today? Or can you pop on in and catch can, up can, now. Can you start, like, like, can you start on, like, the fourth Harry Potter book? Or, or that? <laughs> yeah, that's um, exactly the comparison I was thinking of. <laughs> <laughs> the fourth one. Um, so, no, so I suppose the thing for me with these reports is that they are massive. There's so much in them that you can't, I don't think you can ever really digest everything that's in any of the given reports in one sitting. It's something that I think you need to commit to saying, 
I'm going to learn what's bit, what's in these IPCC reports and kind of take time to do it. The there's sort of pros and cons to being for this report being the first one you dive into. The pro being that it's a summary, so it has uh, gotten all the work that's been done in the last five or six years and tried to compile them into one sort of comprehensive collection of information. The problem with that is that it's really, really dense. So it's kind of just these big key statements, these sweeping overarching statements that actually don't have a lot of, um, or don't have a whole lot of detail in them. Um, so you can get the overall message, which, surprise, surprise, is quite a <laughs> negative one, uh, saying that we need to act now. Um but I, but really, if you want to start to understand the nuances of it, then probably going back and engaging with the with the specific reports is is a better way of doing it. And at this stage, I suppose I'll shout out: we have two special episodes on the last two IPCC reports, so that might be a good starting point for anyone looking for a bit more uh, detail. We'll, yeah. we'll put a we'll put a link to those in the show notes. But, but to answer your question, Kira, I think the, the summary for policymakers, which is the one that came out on Monday, it is very dense, as Dara said, but it does start, it does replay everything. So, you know, it does, it does, it, you don't have to have prior knowledge to read it or to understand okay. it. And it does then give you links and references back to where the data came from, if you wanted to read it yourself. It also has a lot of nice graphics, and I've seen a lot of those being shared on Twitter and so on, that actually do a good job of showing some of the key points as well. Okay. Okay, well, I'll be the first to put my hand up and say that last night when I was preparing for this, I went back and I listened to the Climate Alarm Clock episodes. Even though I'm in there, I have no memory of what we were, like, I didn't retain <laughs> any of that information. So, you know, pat on our back. <laughs> they were a really good resource to go back and uh, kind of just kind of get to grips with what they actually contain. So this report... Like, what does it contain? Is it, I have a little note to myself, is it outlining Armageddon? Huh. Or what is it so so just, just on this one, the summary for policymakers is an interesting part of it because each of the major reports has a summary for policymakers. And the major report is the science, but the summary for policymakers is actually a negotiation. It's a negotiated document in that all the countries involved have to agree to okay. what's included in that. So sometimes it can be, I don't know, watered down is the right word, but there's a lot of negotiation in the language. The language can be sometimes a little bit less direct. Yeah. So, for example, with this one, there was like a week of negotiations going on last week and there were, I had made a note of this, where is it? Oh yeah, there were in the... In the negotiations, there were over 650 people from 135 countries in the negotiations. And there's actually an amazing report on that where they go through which countries objected to which lines and sort of the negotiations that were going on all the way through. So you'll see that Saudi Arabia, for instance, had something like 79 objections to language in the report okay. or suggestions about language. So it, it's... So what? So keep that in mind as you're listening to what the key messages are, because despite all that, I think the key messages are very, very clear coming out of it, even okay. though it was done by committee. Yeah. Cool. Um, and just the other thing I would say before we get into the actual contents of the report is that 
this is the end of a cycle of work that the IPCC have been doing. So this is the last, or basically this is the most comprehensive report that we will hear from the IPCC in years. In So yeah. the next time we'll have a report this comprehensive will be maybe five, six years down the line. So thinking about where we are when it comes to climate change and the need for action, this is one of the last big calls that the IPCC will be making while we still have a chance to act. And I think that's why it's so, so, so important. Yep. Okay. So what are those key points we need to stretch in about, guys? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anna, do you want to start us off? Sure. Um, Okay, so at, at its most basic, the most basic and clear finding that there is no doubt about is that human activities have caused global warming. And we are currently at circa 1.1 degrees Celsius now, and emissions are still going up. So what does that mean, circa 1.1? That means that 1.1 degrees above pre-industrial levels. So that's how they measure it. They look at what the average was up to 1950, maybe. And, and then they look at what the average is now, and that's over... 10 to 20 years. So we're now 1.1 degrees above and and emissions are still going up. And related to that, global warming will continue to increase in the near term in nearly all of the scenarios and pathways that they've looked at. Okay. Can I do a quick, like, target check with you guys? Because one of the things that really confuses me is 1.5 degrees, 2 degrees, 2030, 2050, all these kind of numbers are batting around. And I'm, I don't remember facts, so it, it kind of confuses me. I know that things are not right, but I can't, I, I get confused. So can you give me some, can you chat through just quickly what some of those figures are? What is the 2030, where are we with the 2030 1.5 degree warming? Is there anything to do with 2040? Have I just made that number up? What are Ireland's targets? Where do, like, what are we commissioning to for 2030? What are we commissioning to for 2050? Real quick, just run them off for me there, please. Um, so in terms of the 1.5 and the 2 degrees, when the Paris Agreement was signed back in 2015, there was a target of 2 degrees with an aspirational goal of getting of limiting it to 1.5 degrees. And at the time... Pacific Island states in particular were saying, please, can we can we aim for 1.5? And then the IPCC, actually, the first report that they did as part of this cycle was looking at the differences between 1.5 and 2 degrees. And when they did that report, they realized 1.5 degrees, well, they realized 2 degrees was an absolute catastrophe. And 1.5 degrees was still terrible. So there was this kind of, in 2018, there was an, a real push that, you know, we have to try and go for 1.5. In terms of that target, that's what we that's our eternal target we don't ideally we don't want the ideally we don't want the climate to go anything above what it's already at but we definitely don't want it to go above two degrees and ideally we don't want it to go over 1.5 degrees so we want to stabilize the climate at that so there's no real there's no real you know uh there's no real cutoff point that's where we want to stop the climate uh, stabilize the climate at and then start to bring it down. Um, unfortunately, this report that has come out is saying that it's almost certain that we're going to hit 1.5 degrees at least 
temporarily um sometime in in the next decade sometime in the in the 2030s um the so, early 2030s yeah so we're missing so we're missing um yeah so we're basically breaking through we're we're blasting through those those targets that we'd set for ourselves okay and then just quickly from Ireland's standpoint is our target we want to hit like there's something about carbon yeah. neutrality for 2050 and like all these kind of figures that go around. Our low carbon climate action law, by law in Ireland, we have committed to reducing emissions by 51% from 2018 levels by 2030. So you'll hear us talking about sectoral emissions and what agriculture has to do in transport and so on. And so Ireland has committed to reducing emissions by 51% by 2030. And to reach and, and to reach net zero by 2050, but yep. then as part of sort of in some of the discussions that went on around the release of this report, they uh, experts were really urging developed countries that that we need to get there faster. That in terms of being sort of in terms of global equity, developed countries should be reaching net zero by 2040. Um, is sort of what was being said at the press conference earlier this week. Okay, it's definitely the sort of thing I need to go back and re-listen to like twenty times before I actually understand and remember this. But yeah, thank you. Yeah, and I also <laughs> I also think you know with a report it's like irrelevant. this, yeah, yeah, to some to some extent it is irrelevant. Like we don't like there there's <laughs> there's enough stark warnings that we don't have to really get bogged down in the details. Um, well, also we've kind of talked about this before too, though that the focusing on one point five and focusing on twenty thirty makes it sound like, you know, if you don't do that by then, then you might as well not bother. And it's, it's not as binary as that. And I think that comes out very strongly, it came out very strongly in the press conference yeah. for this report. And, and it's really reiterated throughout this report as well. Okay. Okay, so what else is the report telling us? So I think kind of linked to what you were saying, the report is saying that the commitments that have been made under the Paris Agreement to this point um aren't nearly enough to reduce emissions um to the levels they need to be at there is that okay. thing that i just mentioned about equity and justice and that developed countries need to be doing um way more way faster in terms of both reducing their own emissions but also in terms of providing support and finance for for developing countries mm -hmm. um and the report also shows really clearly that it's developing countries um, who are already being hit hard by climate impacts and are going to be hit even harder into the future. So that's uh, that really shines through clearly in the report. Yeah. Yeah, just coming back to the point about that we're not doing enough, there is a graph in the report that is very telling um, where it looks at greenhouse gas emissions and it looks at the... the um, commitments from the Paris Agreement and it shows what it needs to be to limit warming to 1.5, to limit warming to 2 and then it shows that actually if you implement all the policies that are committed to from the Paris Agreement it's much, much higher than what's needed. The, the emissions are much higher than what's needed to limit it to 2 mm -hmm. degrees. So implemented policies re result in projected emissions that lead to warming of 3.2 degrees. Wow. Yeah. And that's if they're implemented. So there's also an implementation gap, as we know well, in Ireland. 
so that just shows you there's a kind of stark gap, um, an emissions gap, they're calling it, and an implementation gap. Yeah, and possibly possibly then related to that is, um, so when it comes to fossil fuels, it says that projected CO2 emissions from existing fossil fuel infrastructure without additional abatement would exceed the remaining carbon budget for 1.5. So the report is saying that take you know, future exploration and everything out of it, if just all the sort of existing fossil fuel infrastructure, the existing oil wells, the existing um, places where gas and coal are being, you know, are planned to be being extracted from, if we burn all that, we we blast through the 1.5 degrees target. So then if you also couple that, I think we mentioned in an episode a couple of weeks ago that if the... Uh, global agriculture industry carries on the way it's going, those emissions alone would be enough to blow us through the 1.5 target by 2050. So when you start adding all these things up together, it's very, very clear that we're way, way off course. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, so so it's very clear that fossil fuels have to stop. They have to Mm -hmm. go. We've talked about that before. And one of the items in the report, it says that about 80% of coal, 50% of gas and 30% of oil reserves, so thus known reserves that we know are out there today, cannot be burned or emitted if warming is to be limited to two degrees. So when you think about all those companies that we know and love, all those fossil fuel companies that are out there sitting (laughs) on oil and gas reserves... They And, you know, you think about the Willow Project we talked about last week in Alaska. We should not be burning and those reserves. We just shouldn't if we want to, if we want to limit global warming. And yeah. meanwhile, we're also giving lots of subsidies to fossil fuel companies. And the report actually does say that removing subsidies for fossil fuels is part of the solution as well. Okay, so it does go into solutions, the report. Yeah, it does. That's that's encouraging. Yeah, well, the good thing is, I mean, the good thing is that there's a lot we can do and we know what we can do. Um, as, as they, in the language of the report, they say there's multiple feasible and effective options to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and they are available now. So it's not pie in the sky, things that have to be invented. There are known technologies and known processes that are available that we can use to tackle this yeah and like they're all things that everybody knows you know there are things like wind and solar there are things like stop burning fossil fuels there are things like um, protect our bogs protect our bogs like nature restoration like reducing consumption in general like um like changing or changing what we eat to uh, more sustainable plant-based diets. They're the multiple feasible and effective options. Um, And I think it's something that we try to do in this podcast is when we talk about these options, they don't just stabilize the climate and protect our future. They bring immediate health and social benefits as well from Mm -hmm. taking action. So the IPCC chair actually mentioned in the press conference, something that we mentioned in the podcast um, in the earlier report, is that there would be huge cost savings when it comes to health spending, that people would be so much healthier that there would be far less 
spending on health um on health expenditure globally and basically the amount of money saved there would be equal to the actual cost of mitigation in the first place the actual cost of phasing out the fossil fuels um so that's without even talking about how much money we'd save in the long term from avoiding climate impacts um so there are huge benefits to taking this action um and sort of related to that with the co-benefits let's hear from christopher trissos who spoke at the uh conference i think this report also makes clear that action to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and adapt to the impacts of climate change is more urgent than previously assessed in ar5 and that this decade actions in this decade are critical for securing a sustainable future for all i'd also like to emphasize the report has a more integrated assessment than we have had before on the linkages between adaptation and mitigation actions and that there are multiple co-benefits both in ecosystems and for human health by integrating adaptation and mitigation for example reducing greenhouse gas emissions which are often co-emitted with other near surface air pollutants can have huge benefits for improving human health shifts to sustainable healthy diets can also benefit biodiversity by opening up land for ecosystem restoration so the report points in detail more than in AR5 to the multiple co-benefits we can achieve not just for the climate but also for society and biodiversity by taking more rapid climate action wow watching that reminds me of when we used to watch the nefed briefings during covid and everyone was taking it seriously but right now no one is taking it seriously <laughs> Um, yeah, and I think I think that's the thing with with these reports is that they can be really kind of really overwhelming, really negative. But when you actually think of the future that it is outlining, you know, it's not just that we keep the planet livable. It's that there are so many co-benefits. It's that our day-to-day -day lives, our day-to-day -day health and well-being can be better than they are at the moment. And I think that's that's kind of you know a big part of the reason why 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 we need to take action i suppose that's basically what what you've just said there dara is basically a summary of the conclusion of or like what the report concludes would that be fair to say um i yeah i i think that's i think that's the the best message to take out of it you yeah. know for me like that's that's the thing that that's the thing that motivates me uh personally um, but I think there's lots of I think there's lots of key messages. I think maybe there's kind of the the stark warnings um, are are probably also as important. And that's kind of that you know the line that's there is that there is a rapidly closing window of opportunity to secure a livable and sustainable future for all. So the other sort of key message that was coming through in the report is that and in the press conference is that what we do in the next decade will have impacts for humanity for centuries and millennia to come so that they're saying things like if we don't reduce emissions in the next decade rapidly in this decade in this decade rapidly yeah, so by 2030 then it's going to become harder to adapt that then yeah. that there are some regions there are some countries there are some people 
who won't be able to adapt anymore. Just their their, uh, yeah. their situations will become will become unlivable. So um, there is this future, you know, there is this better future that's possible, but there's a really really narrow time frame um, to start taking huge action if we actually want to get there. Yeah. And Dara, to that point, the theme of equity and justice comes across very strongly in the report as well, because they point out that, as always, the most disadvantaged countries and people are hit the hardest. So that's why they keep coming back to rich countries or richer countries need to up their game on finance and support for poor developing countries to help them mitigate and also adapt to climate change. Is it Peter Thornton is the Irish Peter scientist? Thorne. Peter Thorne. Uh, Peter Thorne, who um, was one of the scientists that contributed to the report. He, I heard him saying yesterday, which is such a good point, like that the climate doesn't care about how you slice the pie in terms of the responsibility yeah. for cutting emissions. So kind of the argument of who's responsible for what is completely irrelevant and we just kind of all need to start doing everything yesterday. Um, yeah. Is what I took from it, really. Yeah, yeah. And I think yeah, I think the I think the other thing in terms of who should be taking action and and that kind of thing is that loads of people in the world are already being affected by climate change in a dramatic kind of way. So the report says things like billions of people. Three to three point six billion people live in contexts that are highly vulnerable to climate change. Um Roughly half the world's population currently experience severe water scarcity for at least part of the year. Um, that's already, that's what's happening yep. now. So in terms of, you know, who can be taking action, <laughs> if at this point you have a fairly decent standard of living and you're not being impacted in having your, you know, basic human rights met as a result of climate change or other things, um, and just to say, you know, there are some people in Ireland that that's not the case. But if you are in that position of privilege, then you are in a privileged position to actually be able to take some kind of action. Yeah. And they also point out that the 10% of households with the highest per capita emissions contribute 34 to 45% of consumption-based household emissions while the bottom 50% contribute only 13 to 15%. So 10% of people are contributing, 10% of households are contributing almost between a third and a half, while the bottom 50% are contributing only 13 to 15%. So there's yeah. a big inequity there in terms of what people are consuming and what people are emitting. Yeah. Okay. Um so in summary then, uh, <laughs> the world has warmed by quite a lot already. Um, well, Dara, sort of just, in so, just before you get into the summary, or maybe you're going to put this in the summary, but I think it's really important also to note that something that's different is that the urgency is even greater than it was in previous yeah. assessments. So one of the findings from this report is that they are saying the urgency is greater and they're saying it because they have data now, whereas before a lot of the assessments were based on modelling, now they have observed data that is confirming the models and it's actually showing that change is happening faster than expected and at lower levels of temperature increase. So that's why there's an, an, an even greater sense of urgency now. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So to round up the report then. Uh, <laughs> but wait. <laughs> so humans have caused global warming. We're at over one degree of warming and it looks inevitable that we're going to get to 1.5 degrees of warming at some stage in the near future. The commitments that have been made up to this point are nowhere near enough to reduce emissions. Rich countries need to really up their game and there is huge um, inequity in the way people are being affected by climate change around the world. We need to phase out fossil fuels. Um, and Rapidly. Rapidly. That is one of our major solutions. Other solutions like wind energy, solar, sustainable diets, restoring land will also make our lives better in multiple ways. And we need to implement these solutions rapidly. We are running out of time and we need to see transformational change in the next decade if we're going to reach that um reach those yep. goals as the report says deep rapid immediate reductions in emissions are required yeah and they keep saying that deep rapid immediate can't wait um <laughs> yeah so um how how was everyone's <laughs> week with this report then <laughs> how's everyone feeling uh, about it I have actually been, I would say, in good spirits because I avoided it uh, to, to some degree. Um, I was aware. I was kind of looking to see what coverage there was. There wasn't really anything. I was expecting that. Then I was actually, no, I did not have a good week. I felt like I was being gaslighted. I felt like I was losing my mind. I felt like I was overreacting. I felt like... Why am I being so dramatic about this climate crisis thing? Who the fuck do I think I am to think I know better than everyone else? Not that I think I know better, but like, I just was like, who, how do I know that you can trust scientists? But what is like, obviously I can trust scientists. <laughs> so that is a summary of how my week has been. Yeah, to your question. I think, yeah, I think that kind of runs a bit in parallel to, to me, Kira, in that I think I mentioned it in one of the last reports that Obviously, all the news is terrible from the report, but if you're someone who does worry about climate change and is trying to do something about it, the reports are quite validating. <laughs> you know, they make yeah. they, they really make me realize it's not in your head. You know, it is happening. It is really, really bad. And we really need to take loads and loads of action. Um, and so for me, there's always that thing when the report comes out is is that you know, there's kind of validation and it does, despite how bad it is, they always seem to motivate me. They always seem to give me another kick um, to to keep going, um, mm. which is really, really good. Um, yeah, so... What about you, Anna? Because you're, you're not really one. Me and Dara are very willing <laughs> to let our emotions get the better of us. I would say that's not really your style in my <laughs> experience of doing this podcast with you. How is you like, what's I'm your reaction to I'm the spin? Cold, I am saying you are a modern Irish woman. <laughs> um well you know I I mean I agree with what both of you said. When I watched the bit of the press conference that I saw, I actually came away from it weirdly hopeful. 
And yeah. it was wow. because, yeah, I know, I was going, why, why am I feeling hopeful about this? It was because they were so clear that if we take action, there's so much to play for. There's so much action that can be taken and there's so much that can be achieved if action is taken. So I kind of thought that is a positive message. Um, and also, I think I mentioned this earlier, I kind of also came away with, it's not a binary switch. So we need to move away from, you know, the 1.5 is a cliff and the 2030 deadline and the, all, the, all the last chance language. It's not the last chance because every bit of action we take at every point of time matters and it's going wow. to continue to matter. And that's never not going to be the case. So you said, you know, earlier, well, you know, what can we forget about 1.5 once we get there or whatever? No, even if we half our emissions by 2030 and we don't hit 1.5, that needs to happen forever in perpetuity. All those oil reserves, etc., need to be under the ground forever. Um, so there's a lot of action that can be taken and, and, and it comes across in the report very clearly as well. Every incremental every incremental rise in temperature, every incremental emissions matters. So yeah. we have to do whatever we can to stop that. You know, so I kind of came away a bit motivated by that. And then over the last few days, then I started to oscillate a bit more and go, oh, because, you know, then you look at the lack of action and the state capture by fossil fuel interests. It's yeah. so frustrating. And, and I think that the big frustration, and we've talked about this before, but I feel this has been the worst yet, is just the media coverage has been yes. abysmal. It's been yep. absolutely abysmal on this. And I think for me, you know, this is something that I kind of earmarked as really important because this is the last time we're going to hear from the IPCC yep. for a mm -hmm. while in this comprehensive way. And the next time we hear from them, it's going to be too late if we haven't taken action. So you kind of expect, you know, oh, maybe we'll, maybe we'll um, see an uptick in yeah. media coverage. And I it mean, hasn't been there. Um, Irish no. Doctors for the Environment were really good in calling out the Irish media on Twitter this week saying that, you know, they really need to up their game when it comes to climate change coverage. I mean, the only paper that carried it on the front page the day after the report came out was the Irish Times and even their headline was wishy-washy. But I mean, the just that lack of reaction is just astounding to me. And it, it kind of struck me that the IPCC now is being, they're being treated like the boy who cried wolf. Like they've been saying, so maybe there's, you know, there's only so many doom and gloom metaphors that Ant poor old Antonio Gutierrez can use. You know, it's just, it's not getting through anymore because there were reports last year that had very hard-hitting language and now the news cycle is just moving on so fast yeah, from it. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. You, you, you know, we had, there was a record-breaking cyclone that hit Southern Africa last week. Typhoon, maybe it was a typhoon. Either way, we never heard a thing about it in Ireland, hardly. Mm, yeah, and yeah, and I think there's loads of journalists in in Ireland who I really, really respect. Um but sometimes I take a step back and I'm just like, you're really terrible at your jobs. You know, yeah. like as in this is the story and you are just not covering it at all. And I've been trying to think of like, how, what's, how can I, how can I explain this? What's, what analogy can I use? And I've been mulling this over and I've been thinking, imagine, imagine a sports commentator watched, was commentating on the last World Cup final for the radio um, but they just chose to watch one player. They cho just chose for the whole game. They were just going to watch Kylian Mbappe 
French forward for the whole match. They saw him score three goals. They didn't really pay attention to anything else that was going on. And then at the end, he didn't go and pick up the trophy or get a winner's medal. And they couldn't understand why he didn't get a winner's medal. And it's because they weren't looking at the whole picture. It's because they were really narrowly focused. And all our journalists are just ignoring this massive existential issue and a few years down the line when things you know if things go to shit they're going to be like jesus how did that happen and it's like it happened because there was loads of signs and there was loads of warnings and there were loads of scientists saying we need to take action we need to take action and you just ignored it and when you're interviewing your politicians you didn't ask them about climate change no you asked them about other things um and yeah, I, I don't think it's a great analogy, but it's the best I can come up with. It's just I mean, a sporting analogy is never going to keep me. <laughs> <laughs> but when you when you actually explained what you meant, I got you. <laughs> um, but it's just yeah, it's just the, there's this tunnel vision, and it's yeah. this sort of accepted tunnel vision that you're really missing the big picture. Um, to the point that, like, you know, if I was a journalist. I'd be pretty embarrassed that there's three amateurs like us. You know, we were doing our day jobs today and then we hop on a Zoom and record this podcast and our coverage is way better than you, you professional journalists who who have a, you know, a duty to report important issues to the Irish people and you're just... Well, I mean, I think to be fair, the, the journalists that are covering the climate beat... Like, you know, if I think of Caroline and Kevin or something, they are doing Trojan work. Uh, Oh, I I don't, I don't, I don't deny that, but I think... It's more that, I think it's more the, the, it's the editors, it's the management, it's the overall ethos of the media is just ignoring it completely. And, And you have to look at the Rupert Murdoch's of the world and stuff who are... Out and out climate, yeah, abs- absolutely, and, and delayers, yeah. you know, uh, and yeah. have a huge impact. And I'm going to, um, and I'm going to, yeah, and I'm going to roll back a little bit. And something that friend of the podcast and and co-host last week, Tom Spencer, said to me is that you know his experience of of working in that world of journalism. You know, they all have deadlines. They are all under pressure. They all, you know. Um, you know, they're all just scrambling to keep up yep. with with their stuff, um, yep. which is totally fair enough. But I think what really shines through from this report and what really shines through from uh, the Peter Thorne quote in particular is that, you know, the time for saying this is someone else's job has passed. So maybe yep. we'll, be yeah. listened to, we'll be listened to well, that. Well, just before, before you go there, I mean, one... Um, comment I saw that I think think was really spot on was about the social contract that we all have. I mean, you live in a society, there's a social contract and it's not being rewritten fast enough. Mm-hmm. So as an example, in Ireland, we won't give up turf or we won't consider driving less. You know, we won't consider anything that, you know, might stop us doing what we want to do. And that social contract has to change and, and then the other thing I'd say is that we have to stop talking about the future. Nobody gives a shit about 2100. Nobody cares that, you know, thousands of years time, the, the earth is going to be warmer. What we have to know is that it's the next 10 years, guys. You know, this is not about the future. We need to be focusing on the near term. And right now, the changes that we're seeing. Now, you know, I'm older than you guys, but I'm still going to see all these changes. Yeah. You guys are going to see a lot worse. Yeah, and we need to be, fo- I mean, we need to stop talking about future generations. I mean, yeah, we need to talk about future generations, but we need to focus on the current generations and what people are going to live through. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would like to add 
that it's everything that you guys have said and also I feel Daryl like exactly what you've just said there is exactly what I thought this week and then I walked myself back and then I walked myself off the cliff again and then I climbed back up and I did this kind of dance for a while and then what I resolved to do was like I'm just gonna bloody this is how I think I do my climate activism I just start messaging people on Instagram so I messaged this woman who runs a podcast that I really really respect and enjoy and I just said look I think you're really good at tackling really big issues in a really accessible way and I would love for you to cover more of this and her response was a little bit of well I do try and do this and it, it People get really standoffish when you accuse them of not caring about something. And I think this particular topic is something that people are so... Like, I understand her response because I think it's something that people are so afraid of. It's exactly the experience I had the first time I started this episode. It was like, who the fuck am I to tell people to care about this when I don't even understand and it's not like one sort of linear thing that I can wrap my head around it's everything in the world that I now need to be able to express something about about why it's important to care about and that's so confronting yeah and I think you know up up until I don't know what date I'm I'm rambling now but you know, there was a certain point where maybe letting your kind of, um, um, what's the word, like your own self-consciousness or your own kind of nerves get in the way of your like just bloody talking about it, an issue that's important is like it's just not an option anymore. Like people just actually need to normalise talking about the science yeah. and just the very real and justified concerns that we all have because... To a certain degree, I would suspect that we all bloody have them, whether we know that they're related to the climate crisis or not. We actually just need, like, it's wishy-washy and it sounds like a little bit woo-woo, but people actually just need to bloody talk about their emotions a little bit more (laughs) because it's like that. Once you have your rant and you get it off your chest, you're able to walk it back and you're actually able to take a practical look at it and then say, okay, well, what the hell can I do about this? And you're kind of then a bit, better able to work with other people and that's when we kind of start seeing all those other things that's when we all start kind of rising up against the media and the government and all those people that are holding us back from having re-election it's like such a small small thing that we can do that actually if a load of people did it it would have a really 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 big impact I and Kira, anyway. yeah you're absolutely right and I love that what you what you do is you talk to people so then all of a sudden people are going oh Kira's talking about this she's not a scientist or you know Anna's mm. talking about this you know why does she care you know and the more people who talk about it and talk to each other about it because everybody has the same concerns yeah that's one of the things people it's hard to face up to because the enormity of it, but everyone has the same concerns. Yeah. And so the more ordinary people who are talking to each other, the more likely we will have the action yeah. we need. Yeah, yeah. and on that, uh, the latest ESRI study on attitudes to climate change found that 70% of Irish people are worried about climate change. Yeah. I've been yeah. doing some, in, in my work, I've been doing some kind of uh, sessions, workshops with people lately, and everyone is astounded by that figure. You know, and it's kind of everyone assumes, oh, I'm the only one who's worried about it and I'm not going to talk about it because no one else is talking about it. And it's like 70% of people, if you're in a room, seven out of every 10 people in there, the chances are are worried about climate change. 
So, yeah, normalizing those conversations. Also, you know, the fact that you said, you know, whether it's conscious or unconscious, the fact that the natural world is being destroyed around us. You know, we are a part of nature and that obviously has an impact on us, whether we're aware of it or not. So you're dead right that there's the sort of conscious and unconscious thing. Um, and it's, was, a, it's there, about sorry. finding it's about finding the, you know, the way to relate it to your life and the way that you know, the way that you, as you say, Kira, can can do something about it. Um. Yeah, yeah, there was a report, one of the good reports actually on RTE News this week was George Lee went down and talked to some people in Wexford about coastal erosion. I don't know if you saw that, but no. there's just people who live beside the sea and, you know, farmers, local people, houses that have been there for centuries and they're literally starting to fall into the sea. The, the coast is crumbling under them. And it was a really interesting report because it wasn't making any big scientific points. It was people, farmers, sort of scratching their heads going, this is not going to be, this field is not going to be here yeah. for much longer. And it really brought it home, the power of what's happening and, and the enormity of what's happening, but in a very relatable human way. And I think we need more stories like that mm. and i think yeah and i think we need to as you were saying here we need to figure out ways that we can you know relate it to our own lives um and i think on that i think peter thorne at the press conference was really really good um in the stuff that he said about that so this is professor peter thorne who's actually a lecturer in uh the university of maynooth uh so let's have a, a listen to what he said it's, uh, it's ultimately true that emissions are the result of our individual actions. We are the ultimate consumers. It, we are the ultimate people driving or cycling or walking, etc. We need to be enabled by governments. Uh, but action is needed at all levels, from intergovernmental, through governments, through communities, to individuals. Um, we are beyond the point where, as the late great Douglas Adam would say, climate change can be somebody else's problem. If we had had the foresight to act in 1990, to start to act in a meaningful way in 1990, we would have a vast vista of options available to us to still avoid, keep well below two degrees and strive for one and a half degrees. The reality is we, at all levels, governments, communities, individuals have made climate change somebody else's problem. We have to stop that. We have to act now. It is action across all scales. Do not say it is your government's problem, your community's problem. It is your problem as part of that community, as part of that country, to make the difference at this point for the resilient future we need that is resilient to the climate change we absolutely have and avoids as much additional climate change as humanly possible. Thank you. Um, thank, thank you, you Peter, Peter Thorne. Thorne. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I just love that, um, that, you know, uh, we're, you know, we're beyond the point of saying it's someone else's problem. Um, and that thing of, you know, you are part of your community, so try and do something. Um, so for me, I've been reaching out to people in some of the communities I'm in and saying, listen, can we can we try and do something about this? And kind of looking to like-minded people, trying to get people together 
to then approach further people and try and get them to do some stuff. Um, and for me, you know, I think if we look at that, if we look at that IPCC video, um, that press conference has 9,000 views <laughs> on YouTube. Um, so if you watch that press conference or if you listen to that little clip that we played, Professor Peter Thorne is talking to you. <laughs> uh, yeah. He'd like to be talking to the government, but none of them are listening. Michal Martin didn't say anything about this report. Leo Varadkar didn't say anything about this report. They're not listening. Um, if you are listening... <laughs> He's talking to you um, and you can do something about it. Yep. <laughs> we can talk about it. We can get together and work together on things which we're doing. I'm laughing at like I'm exhausted. <laughs> You're laughing Seriously. at your being exhausted? No, but fa- do you know what? Fair fucks to us. <laughs> because like we turned up and we did it and this is not our job and fair play to the people listening you're all sound and I mean that <laughs> here here well said um yeah but I think I think I do yeah for me I start taking these reports personally now because I am aware yeah. that loads of people aren't listening and loads of people aren't reading them so um yeah if you are listening to our podcast then then uh yeah thank you for listening and thank you for all the things that you were doing I think for me in terms of tackling climate change in general Mary Robinson has a really good three-step approach to doing it um her first step is make climate change and climate action personal to you so make it relevant Mm -hmm. to your life um and figure out things that you can do in your community, in your locality, with people around you. Her second thing is get angry and get active. So get angry at the people who aren't doing enough. For me, that's our politicians, that's our corporations, that's our media. And get active, start doing stuff. And then her last step that is lovely is imagine the world that we are hurrying towards. So start picturing that future that we're working towards. Start imagining that better future uh, that lies ahead if we take action and then come around full circle and figure out what you can do in the here and now to help us get there. Brilliant. Yeah, she's Mary Robinson, you say. Yeah. She? <laughs> yeah, I'd say she she she'll she'll make something of herself yet, I'd say. <laughs> I'd say she's a great girl. <laughs> Fair play to her, she's done a lot on this front. <laughs> okay. Yes. Have we got anything else we want to add you? Guys and girls. It's a hoax. It's all a joke. (laughs) Can I add one more point? Is that last night while I was doing my studying for this episode, I went back and I listened to IPCC report two by the Climate Alarm Clock. And how relevant is it a year later when Dara Wynn said, the report shows that the people who are shouting about how bad this is, is going to get our right to be shouting because it is that bad and it is going to get worse. And if we don't, rapidly change stuff in the next decade. Last year when we started this podcast, you and Anna, you and I, Anna, used to butt heads because I was like, we need to give people hope. And you were like, no, we need to tell people the truth. And this year, I couldn't agree with you more. Bloody, have a little bit of hope, but be realistic about it. Come on, guys. Get your but there pants. is hope. There is hope because action still matters. It still matters. So I'm the hopeful yeah. one, yeah. Kira. Yeah, and also there's a lot of, you know, uh, there's a lot of joy and meaning to be found in the acting. 
You yes, know, the reason absolutely. that we keep doing this podcast is because we have good crack having <laughs> yeah. the chats once a week. Um, and there yeah. is, you know, there is joy and meaning to be found in the action as well. Um, yeah, so find find the meaning, find the joy and find the action. That sounds like something from it from a Tinder profile. Find the meaning, find the joy, find the action. Um, <laughs> Are we back to the shift again? <laughs> um, <laughs> hope so. Uh, you know what's bad right, when guys, Kira is telling us to wrap, wrap it up. up. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a climate um, crisis that needs to be yeah, solved. Thank you. Thank you very much to everyone who has listened. Um, <laughs> we are recording this in a late night session this week um, after... I think all having very busy weeks and all cramming the report and uh, lots of other stuff. So thanks to everyone for listening. A huge thanks to Rob, our editor and producer, for editing <laughs> this podcast, this episode in particular. Uh, thank I you very much, Rob. I was just going to say, um, we love you, Rob. Oh, wait, did we hit record? <laughs> and uh, and uh, thank you to you, all our listeners if you do like what we do you can support us on buymeacoffee.com forward slash the climate alarm but more importantly you can share this episode or share any other episode of the podcast with your friends with your family with your colleagues to start normalizing these climate conversations that we need to be having even if you don't feel like it's normal yeah eventually you will though um but that's it for this week. Thanks a million, um, Kira and Anna. Um, lovely chatting to you as always. Thanks, Dara. You too. And thanks to the IPCC, a great gang by all accounts. Great sound lads. bunch of lads. <laughs> <laughs> to the people listening you're all sound and I mean that <laughs>